Welcome to the weekend must watch here on the Intercut Podcast channel, where we wade our way through the latest in theaters, streaming, and on demand. I am your co host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, they hunt to live. He lives to hunt. It's Arturo Zurita. You can't make a tagline that good. And not put the movie in theaters, man. That is, it, it's yeah. too good. Mar- it's too good of a marketing scheme, right there. But uh, good amount of movies to talk this week, from very original movies to adaptations. A lot of great stuff on streaming. A lot of great stuff in theaters, and a lot of awesome festival picks that have come out. So, uh, pretty good, solid week, I'd say, of movies that we're getting at the beginning of August. Which again, we talked about last week. August tends to not have like the best releases. Mm-hmm. But I, I have a couple of things that i'm looking forward to for the rest of the month and things to recommend so you know i got i got myself a little too comfortable with like oh there's only really like one or two things to worry about per per week in theaters and whatever and then this week comes by and there's actually a lot of options out there from across the various streaming services Mm -hmm. a few options in theaters so uh, definitely a whole bunch worth talking about as we get into our what we're watching. Uh, why don't we kick it off with the biggest movie in theaters of the weekend? And that, of course, would be the latest starring Brad Pitt. This would be Bullet Train, a action comedy directed by David Leach, who's kind of carved a... a niche for himself in Hollywood as the stunt guy turned director Mm -hmm. who makes these very like kinetic, uh, you know, tactile action sequences that are, are almost like watching, you know, (laughs) watching dances unfold a little more than your traditional action scene in a Hollywood movie like this. Uh, This one taking place in Japan when an unlucky assassin named Ladybug is trying to go about his job peacefully and retrieve a a briefcase from a train. However, fate has other plans as he runs, he runs across many lethal assassins on his adventure art. Uh, This is the guy who partially authored John Wick, who more recently directed Atomic Blonde, how do you think Bullet Train holds up to the other David Leach movies? Uh, I really like John Wick. Uh, I know that that was a duo that they had going on there. I also think Atomic Blonde is really good. Uh, I know that this was an adaptation from a book, so I can't really compare the story yeah. in terms of you know well, how that's handled there. And interestingly, I think it was Antoine Fuqua who was supposed to originally mm-hmm. adapt the book, but and the I book is a lot more serious. Easily, yeah. Uh, it, it's got a lot of through lines that are going on that I'm not going to say I'm looking at a director like David Leach to be like, that's the person who's going to bring all the narratives together. I mean, he does yeah. it in the movie, but what I'm looking for is the action. And I think if you're looking forward to this movie, if the trailers have intrigued you in any way, I don't know about the IMAX because it doesn't build up to that ratio. But I caught this bad boy in Dolby, and let me tell you, it delivers what you want from an action movie. This is Snowpiercer, but it's Brad Pitt getting punched every second that he possibly can. Uh, there's this mm-hmm. crazy, you know, mob. Uh, what, what, what are what are they technically in the movie? Uh, gang society, is, secret I mean, society like in the background. Yakuza or something. Yeah, it's like it's the John Wick world 
happening overseas uh, that you get hints of here and there. But for the most part, you're following different characters and they're all the main characters. Like, you know why Brad Pitt is front and center because it's Brad Pitt. Uh, and he's going to be the one who's right. pushing the movie. And he actually has a lot of input uh, within the film. But you are you don't even start with him. You're starting with a father who may have lost his child because he wasn't taking care of him and he kind of wants to seek revenge and then you got these other two twins who aren't really twins but they're there for a reason and maybe everyone has been put on this train with a with a bigger motive in mind but honestly you don't need to follow all of that i don't think it's going to make sense by the end of it you're just there to see people yeah. be up uh, in different carts and i think it delivers on that front yeah i mean i think part of that what you're talking about is something that i was struggling with when the movie is this thing the almost like smoke and aces style thing where it's like mm. all these different characters with all their different motivations circling the similar uh end goal and you end up a little bit like just lost in the chaos of it just like structurally the first half of this movie has more in common with family guy than it does most action movies with all the the flashbacks and reference to's and quick cuts and i don't know i was having trouble getting in the rhythm of it a little bit like yeah, when you yeah. actually get like a set piece, like the the set pieces are all are all extremely well orchestrated, and it's funny in terms of the ways they'll like spill out into each other and how things will come back. But I don't know. Uh, there was something about it that felt a little bit like devoid of 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 like enough character to hold onto. It, it kind of felt a little bit to me like the Marvelization of some Bro. of these movies and that there's like so many quips and everybody's kind of just like uh, undercutting any sense of uh, sincerity with like a glib joke. I don't know. Yeah. There, there's something about it that tonally felt off to me. Uh, David Leach did Deadpool 2. And spoiler alert for those who haven't seen Deadpool 2, Brad Pitt does appear in that movie. Kind of, sort of. He's the invisible guy who appears yeah. for like one little tiny cameo. David Leach was the stunt guy for Fight Club. Like he has been with Brad Pitt for the longest time. And now the mm -hmm. stunt guy is directing the stunt person for Brad Pitt. Like it's this whole full circle thing that's happening here. And it almost feels like instead of going into the Marvel umbrella, they're trying to make their own. There's a specific CGI shot with Brad Pitt that I think looks better than that gray man BS that they gave us last week that just looked like a gray blob. All the money right. was put into that shot because he knows why would I go be part of the corporation when I could just make my own here. Bro, hearing the behind the scenes to this, it is the Brad Pitt vehicle. You're talking about, about it not feeling like mm -hmm. a character. They said Brad Pitt decided what his hair was going to be. He brought in that, that goofy bucket hat that he has. in the. You see it in the trailers and such. Uh, the studio mm -hmm. did not want him to have that. He's like, nah, I'm going to keep this. They kept his tattoos. The producers don't know how to explain why the character has those tattoos. Bro, the bracelets Brad Pitt wears on a daily basis make it to the film. This man did not change anything. That bidet scene, mm -hmm. you see a little bit of it in the teasers, and it <laughs> plays a big part in the movie for some reason. It's because they wrote this. I hear this. it also plays a a big part in the 4DX showings of this movie, but oh, see that, yeah, I ignored the 4DX showings because I didn't want to get beat up and come out like Brad Pitt does in this movie. But yeah, uh, he said that it was during the pandemic. Everybody took the toilet paper and he was just like, I believe that the world should have bidets. So they imported a bidet to be a co-star in this movie. And when I say it's a co-star in this movie, I mean, water bottles are co-stars co in, in this movie. movie. Uh, Costumes are co-stars yeah. in this movie. Stickers. A Fiji bottle has a whole dramatic arc. 
that could be super goofy and it could be right up your alley. It may be what detracts you from this movie. It was fine. Again, I'm with Zach on the jokes not being like the the biggest element in the movie. Uh, I'm there for the action. I think it delivers. It uses the jokes to like uh, give you a breather, but then it goes on to the next card and just gives you more and more and more energy. Um, I do see this being something that they want to continue. There is like a minor after credit scene with some characters that I think uh, may be something that they want to leech off of, make it something bigger, but it may just be me, Zach, but I feel like there's two different types of Brad Pitt. You could get the serious Brad Pitt, mm-hmm. who sometimes is kind of funny, or you get the super goofy Brad Pitt, who sometimes gets serious. And I think I lean more on the um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood Brad Pitt. I think I like him when he's the serious like dude. More than he is the quirky yeah. guy who's having an, uh, an existential crisis. This is the second Brad Pitt performance where he's uh, he's practically like a variation of his character in The Lost City of D, which is right. also funny because they did cameos for each other, him and Sandra Bullock. Um, <laughs> yeah, basically just swapped cameos, not not just <laughs> Sandra Bullock. But. Exactly. Uh, but for the most part, it, it's decent. It's decent for what it's what it's going yeah. for. Yeah. Like, I can't say the movie is not entertaining. You know, that's sort of not... It, it, it's almost hard not to be given the um, the variety of talented actors, not just those that you know are in the movie, but there are several cameos that I don't want to spoil, um, some of which I liked more than others. There's a final one whose face I'm a little bit tired of seeing and stuff like this, but... Um, did that, did, I, I was think, that one spoiled for you? That one was not spoiled for me. Okay. I don't even want to go in the credits here because I don't want to spoil it for other people, but I was actually surprised by it too. Yeah. I mean, like there are enough things happening in this movie where I think you will be surprised by some points. I don't want to like say that I didn't find some parts entertaining or funny because, you know, when they're throwing out uh, as many quips and ideas as this, a few things are going to land. I think ultimately though, it just like, um, the balance felt off for me. So like, it's not that it was a miserable time in the theater or anything. It's, it's satisfying and it's, it's fun, but it's not like, I feel like I'll forget most of it very soon. And even more than I do most of these types of movies. Like I think there's, there's more there in atomic blonde. There's more there in John wick. Fair. I agree. Final question. Bad bunny, bro. You got to be there day one for his superhero movie. (laughs) I I thought the place they put his flashback was so strange. Like it like Well, they saw one they, episode of Breaking Bad and they're like that. Yeah. <laughs> that right yeah. there. It was it was his scenes were shot in 35mm for whatever reason. The whole movie's digital and they're like, "Nah, it's Bad Bunny. He's coming in. His trailer's <laughs> just as go. big as Brad Pitt's. We got to get it all the way." But he was all right. He was all right in the movie. Yeah. I mean, he didn't really have many <laughs> lines in the movie. <laughs> I love, I don't want to get too many spoilers. He does this fight, and then even after he's done, they still keep him in the movie to, to just hang around for a little bit. But uh, uh, hey. Who was your favorite performance? What, what, oh. It wasn't Brad, it sounds like, but nah, there were a bunch Brad. of, yeah. Easily. Brian Tyree Henry and Aaron Taylor Johnson. Uh, I thought they were both great. Yeah. Uh, together, they were fantastic. They talked about bonding so much that Aaron Taylor Johnson, uh, they both have each other as their emergency contacts. Which I think is so funny. They actually like grew a lemon tree together and everything. So just this duo, (laughs) I I thought was fantastic in the movie. Nice. You? All right. So Bullet Train, probably a decently entertaining time uh, at the movie theaters at least. But let's talk about the other 
uh, wide release in theaters this weekend. It was Easter Sunday, directed by J. J. Chandrasekhar, uh, and it's starring Joe Coy, notably. Uh, a movie about a man returning home for an Easter celebration with his Filipino-American family. Uh, I didn't get around to catching this one, but Art, I know you had some time for it. What did you think about Joe Coy's big screen adventure? Uh, if you're a fan of his stand-up, this is all of his stand-up bits in a blender put into a script form. Uh, recently, I went back and I watched all of the stuff that he has out on streaming every single stand-up that I possibly could. Cause I know that this guy's huge dude. Like he is massive in terms of coming in and selling out uh, every time he's doing one of his tours. I have a bunch of friends who are like obsessed with this dude. And I think he speaks to just like the, th- those cultural nuances that I think a lot of comedians are able to thrive on. When you search him up, you're going to get fluffy. You're going to get Gabriel Iglesias. You're going to get someone like uh, just comedians who know how to like make fun of the uh, familiar things that we have going on. Right. This movie is every joke that he's ever done. <laughs> just just stuffed into one thing. Um how how smooth is that though? Because I think, you know, we've seen whether it's TV or movies, there's lots of times where th- people will try to capture the magic of somebody who has like a big stand-up act and then package it and then like sometimes that that gets you, you know, a Seinfeld or something like that. Yeah. And then sometimes it comes out and it's like that short like what I don't know, the short-lived Whitney show that was terrible or something like that. Like do do you feel like they are trying too hard to fit his stand-up routine into a movie or does it feel actually natural here? So the movie's called Easter Sunday, and I didn't think he was going to give the message, Zach. He finds a way to go to church, and he ends up with a mic and does a whole stand-up special. Like, the movie will find ways for him to do a bit. Uh, And again, is that forced? You could be the biggest fan of him. You cannot deny he finds a way to grab a mic and just starts doing things. Uh, It is a movie where he is a struggling actor trying to make it but he has like 30,000 lying around to give it to every other family member. So it's like he's playing old Joe Coy on the come up, but with the right. present rich Joe Coy problems. Uh, <laughs> and I, I found that to be a little funny and goofy. But yeah. again, there are moments where the jokes don't work because it's definitely a stand-up routine. And then there are moments where he took something like one of his bits in his stand-up is that it is embarrassing to go to school when you're young, when they pack your lunch because they're not packing it in a lunchbox. It's going to be a cool whip container. And the best version of that joke in this movie is just walking into his mom's house and she's packing leftovers. You don't have to push in on it. It's just a funny little visual gag. Other times they are very much look at me gags. I'm going to go and right. do this whole bit. It's a movie where every character is telling him, come on, Joe, you got to talk to the people. Dad, I know you're not there for me, but as long as you show up, I think the teacher will like you speaking. Uh, it all revolves around him to uh, the degree of him making up for his cousin's uh, debt that he needs to kind of like cover up for. Um and every single moment that he's doing something, he's also struggling with getting the actual role back home. Um, all the while, he has his agent, who is also the director of this movie. Uh, I'm going to pull him up here. Some of you may know him from a little movie called Super Troopers. So yeah. I think he's really funny in Super Troopers. I know that he's directed a couple of other stuff as well. Um, he's not that. the best director. No. <laughs> That's why I'm bringing this up. Uh 
he directs himself as just doing like the same bit that the manager does of always having to hang up throughout the film. Um, but it's kind of giving you the... If you look at these movies right here, this is this is as high as the quality the of the direction. That's the vibe of the movie. Um, I like Super Troopers. Again, I like Super Troopers too. That would be the <laughs> that'd be the epitome of what he's done. Um, overall, yeah. I think the movie's okay. If you're a fan of his stand up, again, you're going to get an amalgamation of all the, of all those jokes up there. But it's very much the vehicle of I am Joe Coy. Look at me. Um, I made it. So shout out for that. Shout out to Manny Pacquiao. Plays a big part in the movie. Uh, there's also a nice little cameo that happens in the film where I didn't know he was Filipino. And that's like a huge part of this cameo's appearance. So, hey, for the Joe Coy fans, I hope you guys supported it out there. Because there was one dude who went to the fan event <laughs> to see it. Uh, but that was because they turned it into a Fathom event and you couldn't get it covered by A-list. But Easter Sunday, <laughs> out in theaters. Uh, and yeah, should be interesting. All right. Yeah, um, definitely for the Joe Coy fans, at least Easter Sunday. Let's talk about something that is available in virtual theaters. I've brought it up a couple times on the show now because it was a South by Southwest movie, uh, Gone in the Night, formerly titled The Cow, with Winona Ryder, Dermot Mulroney, and John Gallagher Jr., about a couple that arrives at a remote cabin in the Redwoods to find a mysterious couple already in their rental art. I've, I've, Set the table. I, I told you what to expect. I told you not to get your hopes too high over this twisty, turny, non-linear story. I, I told you that the cow is not what you think the cow is going to be. So how did that go uh, in terms of setting you up to finally catch Gone in the Night? They should have kept the movie title The Cow, man. Might as well. At least yeah. you would have gotten a, a good title out of it. Uh, Zach prepped me, so I can't say that I went into it. Uh, not already prepped for the disappointment, um, but I'm saying it's a, it's a decent enough streaming thriller. I think that if you were curious off of the trailer, there's enough there where you're never bored by the movie, but you're kind of confused as to like <laughs> how they tell the story and what they're building up to, if that makes sense. Zach? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'd, I'd be in it the same way that, that you were. I don't think that it delivers that final punch the way that it thinks it's building up to, but I think that there's enough yeah, intrigue kinda, with the twists and turns. Right, yeah. Like, it's a movie that I think it structurally sets you up for wanting, like, a big moment. And I don't know if it really delivers on that moment or at least in a satisfying way. Mm -hmm. It, I don't know. Um, I, I felt like a lot of the characters were not super believable especially like it's one of those movies that asks you to believe somebody or that believe somebody's been convincingly lying the whole time you know what i mean yeah and i think it slips up on that and there's uh winona's performance is like good at the beginning and then towards the end it feels like she's in a parody it, it almost feels like yeah. she can't believe they're filming that part of the script or that she said <laughs> that she said yes to we it. We didn't rewrite this? Yeah, but again, it's got some bonkers, uh, This it does some bonkers decisions towards the end of it that I think uh, may not warrant you renting it and being disappointed, but once it comes out on a streaming service, give it a watch, see how you feel about it. Yeah, so Gone in the Night, another option from virtual theaters. Uh, let's move on to I Love My Dad, uh, virtual option. Uh, another former South by Southwest movie that winner. we can talk about. Uh, oh, this was an award winner at South by? Mm-hmm. 
Interesting, interesting. Uh, well, it is a film written, directed, and starring James Morosini about a hopelessly estranged father who catfishes his son in an attempt to reconnect. The estranged father in this movie is played by Patton Oswalt, who is definitely the like main focus of the movie, kind of the point of view character. So you're getting the perspective of the catfish, not the catfished mm -hmm. in this movie. And it goes in some very bizarre and uncomfortable directions. I was thinking about our friend Amanda, who has made her, her distaste for cringe well-known and this that she would, that movie. she would really struggle with something like, I love, I love my dad. Um, it, it, pushing the envelope on uncomfortable barriers in father-son relationships in the name of like trying to solve these emotional wounds. Uh, it might be too much. It's probably going to be way too much for some people, but I thought it was actually pretty fun and surprising, I, especially in the way that certain sections are, are filmed. They do a thing where... A lot of the a lot of the relationship in the film takes place over text, but they will uh, make it more literal in the interpretation of it by having the actors in the same room together, and it leads to to these just very surprising, funny uh, moments uh, mm -hmm. throughout the movie. So I don't know. I I kind of. <laughs> I feel like I hear the idea of like father catfish's son and there's a part of me that instinctually wants nothing to do with that movie, but <laughs> this was funny. I, I don't know. I, I dug it. I, I thought there was some interesting stuff here in terms of the relationship it's trying to, trying to tell. And it made me laugh in that like cringe comedy sense several times. So uh, I enjoyed it. I don't know if you've had a chance to rewatch it since they sent uh -huh. us the link to it, but uh, what, you, I think you were positive on I love you. Uh, I love my. I keep saying I love you, Dad, <laughs> for some reason instead of I love my dad. <laughs> I think uh, you were positive you, on I love my dad, right? Yeah, I, I liked it coming out of uh, South by. I thought it was a very interesting approach to what he says is a true story, and that's how it begins. It tells you this is actually something that I went through. You ask my dad, he is going to deny it, but it is the peak of cringe comedy. But it's in that cringe, like Zach said, that you actually get into the heart of the issue, like when you're dealing with these emotions of a father worrying that he's not as connected to his son, they're going to do something cringe. It's not going to come out like Liam Neeson taken professing their love. It comes to the conclusion of pretending to be somebody that you're not supposed to be. Uh, like I said right there, it had won uh, both the audience and the Grand Jury Award uh, at South wow. by for narrative features. So that's why I was comparing it a lot to, um, what's his name, who also won South by last year. and has Cooper? Cooper Rafe, uh, very much so. A movie where he not only wrote it, but the writer-director of the movie is that main guy that you see right there because, uh, what's his name? Uh, Patton Oswalt said, nah, you are this character, and it, I won't play the father unless you play the son. So he had to deal with <laughs> a lot of the awkward moments. Um, but yeah, I agree with you in terms of the way that they handle the, um, the text because it really puts you in the perspective of them uh, and how they're receiving the text if that makes any mm -hmm. sense it's uh while someone is lying the other person is receiving it and and adding more right. context to it than what it really is yes and it really showcases when you have the other person there how they see the conversation going as opposed to what it really is it's fantastic that's a great point 
That's a great point because a lot of times uh, there's like almost a double meaning to text and, uh, you know, the mm-hmm. way that a, a words are said are not necessarily the way they're received. Doubly yeah. so when it comes to text communication rather than vo- you when know, it's your word, dad. Uh, vocal <laughs> communication. So, yeah, uh, I don't know. It's. Ugh. It, it's funny. It's a fun movie. I would definitely recommend it. I'm curious to see how people react to it because it's not the, the most comfortable watch, but it's a funny nope. one. So yeah, I, I love my dad. We'll give that one a recommendation for sure. Uh, let's move on to some of these streaming options because some, several of the streamers had big releases over the weekend. Let's go with Peacock first and the film They Slash Them, a horror about a group of teenagers at a gay conversion camp enduring unsettling psychological mysteries while being stalked by a masked killer this one is written and directed by john logan oddly enough a guy who is a oscar nominee a tony nominee has a lot of accolades to his resume uh slumming it with blumhouse for the straight to peacock movie (laughs) starring kevin bacon uh anna klumsky and carrie preston and a bunch of actors i hadn't heard of before this art what was your reaction to they slash them uh, to give John Logan a little credit, yes, he is a huge writer. This is directorial debut, Zach. That's why he needed to go to Blumhouse. This is a story <laughs> that needed to be told by a true auteur and a film house that can understand that. Uh, but Blumhouse also makes some really bad movies here and there. This might be one of those. Yeah. It just feels yeah. like someone who has not talked to the young generation. We are talking about Bodies, Bodies, Bodies being a movie that doesn't need to reinvent uh, slasher mm-hmm. films or mystery thrillers. It just needs to understand its generation. That's a movie that understands the generation. This is a movie that the target audience, all they did was rip your movie apart the opening weekend because I don't think any of them listened to Pink the way you do. John Logan said that he's a big fan of Moulin Rouge. And he has memorized all the Pink lyrics from all our albums. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and that magically means that all the characters at this camp connect in that way. And it just felt so inauthentic. Uh, a lot of the lines here feel very stilted. It's sometimes lit like a, I don't want to, I don't even want to say CW show. It's just lit like a, like a terrible campy uh, camp thriller where yeah. you would think that this coming from a writer, coming from a really big cast and especially the perspective that they're handling would know to i don't know approach it in a much better way it it becomes victim to what it's trying to call out ironically yeah like (laughs) i feel like there's some interesting ideas that were here and they're all handled pretty awfully (laughs) like there there is something to this whole idea of like this gay conversion camp but they're not super like uh, like you know, Christian oriented or something. Progressive and, gay conversion camp, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, a progression gay conversion camp. It's sort of a weird idea, and, yeah, but it's... like they kind of go nowhere with that, and it's like I don't know. Uh, they, it, and on the one hand, they'll be like, "Oh, I will use your they them pronouns." On the other hand, they'll be like, "No, I'm going to misgender you and put you in the wrong." Like it's it's a bit of like a schizophrenic movie in its approach, and I was also like. I was surprised, too, by the way in which the killings unfolded, because I think you think, like, kids get sent away from a camp and you you get an expectation of sorts. It subverted that, but it did it in the most, like, (laughs) 
weirdly dramatized, like poorly rationalized, stupid twist I can think of. The twist was like, the twist wasn't something I was expecting because it was so laughably bad. I wouldn't think that they would do it. It seemed like just so, such a bad decision that I, I thought they would do something more clever and clearly they had nothing. In this scene right here, uh, let me see if this opens up. This exact spot right here, I knew who the killer was. They say a line <laughs> where they go, and this person, yeah. it's there, whatever. And I'm like, so it's that. <laughs> it, 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 it makes it so obvious. Uh, every point that it's trying to make is just bashing you over the head. Um, yeah. And it's crazy to think that uh, Friday the 13th is was one of uh, Kevin Bacon's first movies. So he knows what it's like <laughs> to be in an actual good uh, horror movie that takes place in a camp. I would recommend the Fear Street movies. Go watch those. That's a series mm. that understands how, uh, how to approach, one, an LGBTQ storyline and can actually give you the thrills that you're looking for and a, a, a killer that at least has more going to them. If you wanted to get something yeah. dealing with a gay conversion camp, one, Blumhouse already has a doc called Pray Away which I kind of feel was like what they was the precursor to this. Um, or just go watch the miseducation of Cameron post Sundance yeah. winner way more worth it. <laughs> Not a horror movie, but definitely a much better version of the it's gay conversion than camp this? story. It's definitely <laughs> That's for sure. Than this. And makes a lot more sense too, because yes, this was sir. just like, it just boggling, mind boggling decisions. I, I don't know. It, it felt like they, <laughs> it felt like they had a goal in mind, but not necessarily, an idea of how to get there in almost every scene. And it's just, it's from the blocking to, as you mentioned, like some of the lighting. I felt like they were choosing horrible takes for the actors too. Like I feel bad for the actors because they're they're clearly better in some moments than they are in others. And I think it's not, ultimately I think that comes down to a director not really knowing what he wants from a film. So yeah, I I don't know. They slash them wasn't really it. Uh, even though it seemed to generate a lot of eyeballs for Peacock, at least, which doesn't happen that Thank often uh, for NBC Universal. Long time writer doesn't mean good time first director. <laughs> Let's go to a much more interesting streaming offering Woo! from this weekend. This one is Prey. It is a new prequel to the iconic 80s action flick Predator. This one comes from director Dan Trachtenberg. Trashenberg hasn't done a movie since 10 Cloverfield Lane. But man's man's has been busy. Uh, He did the playtest episode of Black Mirror. He did the pilot for The Boys. He also did an episode of The Lost Symbol, which I haven't seen. But it's been a little bit too long for for the guy, Dan, in terms of returning to features. And he's got a very interesting one here that takes the familiar movie villain of The Predator and puts puts it in a much further back in time period than we are used to seeing going so to cool. the Great Plains of 1719 to hunt a bunch of uh, Komachi warriors. Uh, it's a really, really cool idea to take this very familiar thing, which is so linked with like uh, modern technology and military grade weapons and remove it from all that to kind of simplify the whole prey predator situation. I thought this was a pretty awesome movie, especially given that, you know, the, the predator series has not had the most success and this has got to be one of the better movies, uh, 
if not like the best since the original, right? And then it goes straight to streaming. You know, right? Uh, look, Predator. When Predators came out, I remember that one when it was still the blockbuster days. That was a movie in where they had like what it was Adrian Brody, and it, it pretty much took the first Predator movie and said, "Hey, don't you know we may also be predators as humans too?" And it's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah we got that from the first movie. It didn't knock us over the head." The Predator when that came out, I was doing my research for it, looking back at them because I've been rewatching all of them. Do you remember all the garbage they got for this movie? The Predator uh, had a whole backlash because of an actor who was there, that Shane Black, who wrote and right. was in the original movie. Uh, it was yeah. his buddy, and he had allegations, technically convictions, I think, uh, yep. and that derailed that movie completely. Now that it's been some time, and you've got a name change, which I think is beautiful, Predator to Prey, uh, yeah. you get a feels really natural. solid... It feels natural, and you get a really solid story, and I would say the best way to expand a franchise, bro. Like, we've had Predator in the woods already we've had him in the city dude to to have predator fight different people in different times people have been yeah. talking about there being a samurai predator a viking predator it just the medieval possibilities predator. are freaking awesome yes i take yeah. all of that uh it's a beautifully shot movie man this is a film mm-hmm. that i really wish had the ability to be seen on a bigger screen i don't know if a lot of tvs are going to do this movie justice it is a film in where they they did it in two languages and they made it very confusing early on, which they didn't need to because practically they dubbed it. Uh, but they wanted yeah, to make it seem is... like they shot two versions, you know? Yeah, it's, it's not quite that. It be, it's uploaded to Hulu with a Comanche dub, which makes which it the cool. first feature length film ever to have a Comanche audio track for it. Which, which yeah, as you said, is very cool. Not awesome. the same as it being shot it's in the It's not the same, although, and that's why. Although there's a lot of spoken weird. Comanche in the movie, which in is cool. In the movie cool as too. well, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I wish they had the balls to go all out with it, but I understand, right. you know, it's going to go to Hulu, whatever else. It's still a cool option to have. And uh, I really like just the details that they went into to this movie this is a I, he just does a really good job at setup and payoff that's one of the best parts about 10 cloverfield lane love mm-hmm. that movie uh and he's able to bring that style into uh this film i think that the main actress did a really good job with uh just seeing her like training montage and how she builds up and learning from her surroundings right. what they're able Amber to do Mid with the Thunder. predator yeah, she's fantastic. What they're able to Dope do with too. the <laughs> Predator and the practical effects, I thought was really cool. Um, yeah. And then again, rewatching the the classic one, it's crazy how little you see of the Predator until like really mm-hmm. late into the movie. Um, yeah, he's a little so more like Jaws in in, yes. in Predator, and here it's it's like a very real. It's more like uh, Freddy or uh-huh. something like, or, or uh, Jason yeah. rather but than. They're able to deliver, man. On some of these kills, they're able to go in, and I thought that that's that's one of the best parts about it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's certain elements of it where, like, maybe like the the logic is a little off, or or the character decisions feel a little bit strange. As I feel like is par for the course in a lot of these like big blockbuster action movies, but it always kind of sells it through the filmmaking, and I think it's it's Trachenberg who's really really. A- able to give you kind of like the visceral feel of these moments and uh, the the put you like in the shoes where you either feel scared or feel suddenly empowered by the way that the action is going around, going out. Like there's this one sequence where her and her brother are finally attacking the predator, and it feels like it. I like logically it makes no sense why they would be doing so much better 
than like a whole group was moments ago. But the way it's shot, you you you're with them, and it makes sense, and it feels awesome. Um, yeah, and it's it's not like I I need uh for everything to be like perfectly in alignment for it. I think ultimately, uh, it's just like it's fun and effective. And like you said, like there's just some really, really good filmmaking in terms of how the set pieces play out here. So yeah, I mean, I feel like prey is, is probably the most fun of the movies that came out this weekend, even with bullet train in theaters. uh, I would have rather had a chance to see prey on the big screen. 100%. I think a lot of people agree. Uh, We'll see how it does. Cause I don't know how they value how, yeah, it's Good strange. It does on Hulu, but if you're going off of social media, I think people, you know, whether they love it, whether they hate it, I think it got a lot of talk. Um, yeah. And I think I mean, it's, to a lot of people that they can still expand it. Yeah, it's just funny, like in this year where there's been all these surprise hits in theaters and all these stories of films making way more money than we expected them to. This probably could have been a sneaky hit for for Fox Disney and Let they decided against it. Yeah, I heard that there is a contract thing in where Disney has to share any theatrical releases with HBO. So if you were to consider how uh, was the Guillermo one that just came out? Oh, shoot. Um, Nightmare Alley. When Nightmare Alley premiered in theaters, it had a really crappy thing. And then it got split when it came to HBO. And that's happened to a lot of movies. So some theorize that they didn't want to release it because then they would have to share the streaming thing. I still think that a theatrical run would be dope, but that's a theory that's been out there for that. We'll see We'll, We'll see how they develop it for a sequel if they're able to greenlit one. It feels like after the pandemic started, a lot of studios really like stopped valuing the idea of making 50, 60 million dollars in theaters. And now that like movies are starting to make money again, studios are realizing, oh shoot, we could make like 60 million dollars in theaters. We'll talk about the HBO thing soon. We will. But <laughs> isn't it crazy? Like they're, they, they're fixing their problems from last year, but then by the time they start fixing that, they got to fix the problems from this year. And there's just always yep. going to be a problem that they're fixing. But yeah, this would have definitely it. benefited from that. Uh, just from a cinematic perspective, the, this is a movie that was shot to be taken in uh, with all the landscapes. Not something that you just want to watch. Or, or It looks beautiful at home, but it just would have looked better in a big screen. Simply put. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we recommend Prey, uh, and we recommend that Disney starts putting some of these movies on theaters. But yeah, you can catch it on Hulu. Another movie that you can catch streaming is Luck, the latest release on Apple TV+. Plus. Somewhat controversially, a release from Skydance Entertainment, the company that currently employs exiled former Pixar chief John Lasseter. Uh, Why didn't anybody tell is... me? <laughs> yeah. The movie uh, as I see his name. Yep. It's it's the biggest jump scare of the weekend. Um, <laughs> anyway, it's about a woman finding herself in the land of luck and how the unluckiest person in the world must unite magical creatures in order to save the world and turn her luck around. Art, what did you think of the latest feature animated film to hit a streamer luck it's fine it's cute i'm a little worried on the animation side for uh apple because i feel like they're able to bring in competent 
easy to look at animation, but the story themselves are pretty subpar. Uh, I know sometimes yeah. we say like, oh, this new Pixar movie, but it's like a DreamWorks story. I'm going to start using Skydance for that. And I feel bad because right. this is supposed to be not just Lasseter, dude. I'm watching this movie and I see an A113 Easter egg on a computer and I'm like, what? And you start <laughs> catching a bunch of other Easter eggs and I'm like, did the did a... Did a part of the Pixar team leave and are restarting over here? And yeah, come the end of the movie, it's not just John Lasseter. Pixar stopped having a little Easter egg that they used to have all the time, which was a little voice from John Ratzenberger as a side character in every single film. My man disappeared. I wondered where he went. I'm listening to the a bartender character in this movie that sounds just like him. He's over here. Yep. So yeah, I don't. It's a whole team left with them, bro. It's like when the devil left, a bunch of angels fell from heaven with the man too. So, uh, hey, better luck on the next one because I thought this one was just okay, man. I don't know what yeah. to add to it. I will make one note though. Shout out Eva. This is the voice actress in this movie. She has had the lead in Yellow Rose, which I caught a couple years back. I know a lot of people were championing that movie. She was also in Easter Sunday. So for her to be the lead voice in a big animation and then also play, uh, I would say she was one of my favorite characters from Easter Sunday, who is the girlfriend of his son, who does, he's, the son is mixed. So he's like playing both sides of being half white and not understanding his Filipino side. And she was hilarious. She comes in and kind of sets him straight. So shout out to her for being able to also have a lead animated voice here um yeah big weekend for the her movie big weekend for her uh, okay weekend for john lancer compared to what he's had in the past but i guess he's got a whole new uh they've got a lot in the works dude over there yeah i mean look it's a it's another player in the animated feature uh world out there i guess which cool in some in some ways and then like i don't know the end product didn't really exactly inspire me for like the future of Skydance's productions because this one is a little bit like I think you you mentioned it's got the like it feels like Pixar but a little DreamWorks thing Mm -hmm. Uh, it's it's got that Pixar thing where it's like oh let's let's dive into uh idea that you didn't think there could be a whole world in it's like let's explore the backstory of luck where does luck come from in the way that you know Pixar will dive into what are what are emotions but it all feels a little bit like that, a yes. parody of one of those Bro. Pixar videos, <laughs> like yes, the way they'll like even an mention out story, but like uh, not emotions, luck. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it feels almost almost like a late night sketch version of Inside Out. It For sure. had, like it just like wasn't all the way there, and then also the animation just feels a little bit dated. Like the the faces are a little bit rubbery, the movements are a little bit rubbery. The the humans are a little bit more lifelike than they are in Pixar movies in a way that makes them fall a little more into that like uncanny valley thing where it's like, why is her Mm -hmm. mouth not moving that much? Mm. I I don't know. Uh, It was just a little bit off, a little bit weird. Um, Probably good enough to just like put on and watch with your kids, but not something that might be worth like the movie theater trip if it was playing on the big screen. I feel you. The creative team behind Toy Story and Cars. Yep, they said Brad Bird's going to be doing something over there. So, hey. Interesting. As long as he gets the directors, hmm. I guess eventually he may have a revival over there. I don't. Who directed? Do you yeah. know who directed this? Uh, Peggy Holmes, who, as far as I can tell, has not directed a whole lot interesting before this. Uh, she did a Little Mermaid spinoff, looks like. <laughs> I guess that explains it. Well, if you have Apple yeah. TV, there you go. You have some background stuff yeah. to watch there. Uh, let's talk about 
Prime Video's biggest release of the weekend, which Tell is me. 13 Lives. It hit theaters last week and it's now available at home for everybody telling the story of 12 boys and their coach who explore the Tom Luang Caves when an unexpected rainstorm traps them and the story of the world-class divers who navigate through miles of dangerous cave networks to discover the boys and get them to safety. Uh, this one is directed by Ron Howard, interestingly, who's a director who has made a lot of films that I think are good, but a lot of films that I don't like too, especially recently. Uh, and I don't know if this is a compliment or a backhanded compliment, but I'd say this is easily the best film he's made in at least 10 years, at least since Rush, Ten? if not before them. I mean, look nah, at the track record, man. It's not that... No, 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 my man made Rush. My man made... That might have been 10 years ago, Zach, but he still made Rush. That might have been nine years ago. (laughs) (laughs) I said since Rush. I said since Rush. Uh, No, you're right. Little Billy (laughs) might just be. It's not not great, man. Um, But this one is a kind of beautifully filmed and gripping, understated docudrama that is a, you know, moment by moment kind of recreation of this incredible true story that as we've talked about previously on intercut was the subject of a really thrilling documentary called the Mm -hmm. rescue. Um, I even preferred seeing this version of it to the rescue in, because I think one thing that I was not expecting, particularly given that, you know, you see the posters for this movie or you see the ad, the ads for this movie and they're really emphasizing, we got Viggo Mortensen, we got Colin Farrell, we got Joel Edgerton. Here are your your famous American or like famous in America, at you, least. You trust stars. Them. Yeah. Uh, the, a lot of this movie actually spends time with the various Thai officials and Thai locals who, who were really, you know, integral in this operation. It, it take It's like 15, 20 minutes before we even see Colin or Vigo. And I think nice. the way in which this story really feels like it's telling you the full picture, showing you like, it's not just that they were diving through the caves, but it's the people who are working to stop the rainwater from seeping through sinkholes in the mountains. And this, it, it impacted all the people in the town where the water was diverted to. And there's just, there's just a scope uh, to this film that is balancing the stories of like 20, 30 characters and actually giving you like a, a depth to their story in a way that like a bullet train would never even try to. I don't know. <laughs> don't do it um, like that. <laughs> I, <laughs> I just, I thought it was really well done. And Damn. I, I want to go back to just talking about how understated it is because it's such an emotional story. And I think you could really play into the, uh, you know, make it very treacly, very, very melodramatic. And rather than do that, they just kind of like try to get it done, right? Like try to get to the next step. Uh, even in the performances, there's a really amazing moment that Colin Farrell gets towards the end of this film where he's worried something's gone wrong. And rather than ha- be at this big moment where the music gets dramatic or, or the sound effects get crazy, y- you just see him a little bit exacerbated and a little bit, he- he's breathing a little bit more heavily. And you know, when you have a guy like Colin Farrell, he can really sell a moment like that. You know, it's it's a little bit, uh, it's almost two and a half hours long. This film felt shorter yeah. to me than the, what was it, 95 minute they, them. It's just, it grabs mm-hmm. you and Ooh. there's not a moment wasted. I think this is really just like, honestly, one of the best Amazon films I've seen. 
Uh, and it's, it's probably going to be an honorable mention for me when we get to best of the year later this year. The bro, we were just talking last week. Yeah. Two hours and a half in the theater. I know. Yeah, no, I thank regret you. It's it, coming man. out on Prime. I regret it we'll so put hard. It on Prime. We'll see that in the background. All right. I am sold. It's a stack cast. Uh, it's a stack cast. I saw a little bit of it. Alita was watching it in the morning, and I was telling Zach uh, this. I was like, I saw one moment, and it looked like they were filming the outside scenes like you would the inside cave moments. And I was like, I don't know. It just looked really trippy. So. I'm glad that you have uh, given it the thumbs up because, yeah, I also really enjoyed The Rescue. It is one of the most claustrophobic. I was nauseous after watching that one in the theaters. Uh, that one's on Disney Plus, if I'm not mistaken. So you're able to catch yeah, The Rescue. Yeah, it is. You, uh, will also you, feel that, you will also feel that claustrophobia from this because you get those, like, shots where they're diving through these tunnels and you can't see much and the sound just... It fully puts you underwater. I think it's really, really good. I was not ready for how much I was going to enjoy this one. I, I put it on like ready, late man. last night, and I'm there on the edge of my couch at like one thirty in the two morning. Two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you already know how it ends too. You've seen. You've literally seen the yeah. story. <laughs> uh, hey, hey, the people from Thirteen Lives, send Zach a pillow. He needs to add to his collection. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I, I will replace my rescue pillow with a 13 no, lives pillow. If you I don't get even one. need to replace it, bro. You're going to have the rescue pillow, the 13 lives pillow. I'm pretty sure they're working on a mini series for this story as there well. We're going to add that one to the collection. It's going to be a whole little set. All right. I'm, I'm looking forward yeah. to catching this one over on Amazon Prime. Sounds good. Yeah. I hope some people check it out and like it because I thought I, I was not ready for how much I was going to enjoy this one. So 13 Solid. lives on Amazon Prime Video. Uh, we got one more streaming selection before we head to TV, and it's over on Disney+. Plus. It's called Star Wars Summer Vacation. Uh, not something that I was going to check out. Lego Star Wars Summer Vacation. Yeah. But Art, okay. uh, what did you think about this one? I just told Zach I wanted to put this on because I had one thing to say about it. These yeah. don't mean anything. They just need to get something out there. They have some of the voices that uh, are in Star Wars. It is the goofiest thing. None of it is real. It's not canon, Zach. I know you were wondering. You don't have to worry I, I about catching worried. this before episode okay. 10. I mean, if it's not uh, canon, I'm not watching. <laughs> they have Weird Al Yankovic in this. They got ah. Anthony Daniels. A lot of people came back. But I had to see who was voicing because literally the, the main person who you're following is um what's his name who's john boyega voice i don't even have mine oh uh finn yeah john boyega ain't here and i remembered they can't disney plus john boyega so the whole time you're listening to a knockoff and make the worst jokes possible this has become something that i'm worried disney plus is going to be it's all these filler yeah. things sometimes they're good uh, for example, I'm pretty sure we're not embargoed, but there's that I Am Groot little series that's coming yeah. out. It's a bunch it's of little shorts. I told Zach, it's like 22 minutes. They didn't even bother to separate them. They exported <laughs> that entire file and sent it to critics. Uh, that's pretty solid. It's very nice and short. Uh, 45 minutes is still too long for this, bro. It is. It, this is a straight-to-VHS type of uh, pre-show that they put on the actual holiday special <laughs> this is the lego holiday special for the summer at the end i don't even know bro uh i just hope that this isn't what they start flooding um on a weekly basis over at disney when they don't have anything else yeah. to do because we've seen that i mean i think a similar that's thing. 
that's ultimately my worry with like a lot of Disney properties in general, right? Is they the the more navel gazy you get, the more insular and self-referential, and the more you like lower and lower the bar because it's like, oh, I recognize that that's a thing that I I liked when it was mentioned like five properties ago. The the less incentive there is to actually pay attention if you aren't already a fan of these things. But it's if it's all they're making. What's worse that this is like the bad side of that where it's doing nothing but pointing things out that you recognize or the fact that we've seen that already in the live action films. So why does it matter that the Legos are doing it? You're seeing it in the main series anyways. But Lego Star Wars, if you wanted your summer holiday <laughs> special, there you go. Whole 45 minutes. Uh, of it. All right. Lego Star Wars summer vacation. Uh, for for somebody out there. Uh, Got a couple things on Netflix we want to talk about. Just briefly, I'll mention The Sandman because Art hasn't had a chance to get on it yet. And I've only seen the first two. This is Netflix's uh, big new show. I think they have a lot of hopes that this will be a new property that they can expand into several seasons and make a whole franchise out of uh, based on the very popular Neil Gaiman stories. Uh, This one is about a mortal wizard dream who is enslaved or captured and then has to uh, escape after he escapes, has to rebuild his, uh, I don't know. I don't even know what it is. Realm or something. Uh, My issue with a lot of these shows is that they get heavy into the like the mumbo jumbo backstory that like I, I will pick up if you make like, a couple interesting seasons and I have to watch it, uh, watch all of it. But like after two episodes, I'm still a little bit like what's going on here. I I will say that in comparison to like another big Netflix sci-fi fantasy kind of, genre show shadow and bone that we've talked about on intercut. Mm -hmm. I think there is like a consistency to its vision and like a, it's a practicality to like what the story is about that makes me a little bit more interested to see where it goes. Like I, I feel like I get the stakes and the world a little bit more already than I do in something like in shadow bone where it felt a little bit more elastic. (laughs) Uh, I'm mixed on the Sandman, uh, but I, I'm, I tend to be mixed on these kinds of things. And I don't know. I feel like it's not fair to really do a full judgment on something like this after only two episodes Mm -hmm. that it's clearly has such a grander aspirations like i i'm pretty confident that like and we even i see in the stream we have some comments talking about how they're only really touched the tip of the iceberg in terms of where the story can and will go so like i still feel like i'm learning the rules of the show but i don't feel like it's um it's necessarily like moving too fast or something i don't know i think it's been like an interesting introduction to the show i i could do with fewer dead pets but that's that's a <laughs> consistent complaint of mine that's a good warning uh, either way it's it's a pretty heavy show with a lot of lore but at least if you devote your time to it you feel that there's a good foundation in there 
Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, I'm curious. I'm curious where it's going to go because, as I was mentioning, obviously, like Netflix has a lot of hopes in this. Like, this is their big counter move to Amazon doing Lord of the Rings and Disney doing Andor. And uh, of course, we're going to talk about Thrones uh, returning to HBO in a little bit. So, I'm going to stick with it. I'm curious. I'm I'm curious where the rest of this season will go, and uh, especially I'm sure once you get around to it, you'll <laughs> you, you tend to like unlock these things a little bit for me too. So okay. yeah, maybe we can talk about it once you get around to it. Looking forward to it. The Sandman. You never read the comic? Nah, it's scary. Kind of, but it like it scared me. I don't know. Really? It, I think it's creepy. Really? Bro. I don't know. There's something creepy about it. Hmm. Interesting. All right, so the other Netflix film or a series we wanted to talk about is their new docu-series called Trainwreck, Woodstock 99. Previously known as... Up until last week, (laughs) Clusterfuck, Woodstock 99. Uh, I guess they realized they needed to clean it up for the SEO. Um, But it's, you know, we are pretty critical here on... uh, on Intercut I'm about boxed. Netflix documentaries because yeah. there are a lot of them and a lot of very trashy ones. Um, I And I feel like, you know, talking about the events of Woodstock 99 is definitely has the potential to lean on the trashier elements. But I actually thought this was a pretty well put together look at how things spun out of control at this, you know, the the infamous music festival before the infamous infamous music festival became fire festival yeah um, literally and really there's no good comparison because this is so much more destructive and so much worse uh, we talked previously about uh, the Woodstock '99 documentary over on HBO as part of their music box series that came out last year what do you think stood out about Trainwreck, Woodstock 99, over on Netflix? Uh, besides it being split into three episodes so they could have a little bit of a runger, longer runtime, uh, I thought the Woodstock one over on HBO was pretty good. It gave you like a really nice insight in under two hours about what happened in those three days, and I think it does it from like a very uh, journalistic perspective. I could see a lot of people preferring that one. I, we were both worried going into the Netflix one that they love to exploit, exploit, exploit. You know, we were looking mm-hmm. uh, for the Tiger King version of it. You had brought up the Fire Festival and you brought up a beautiful meme that I had forgotten about, about the guy who was willing to do anything for that Evian festival. guy. I felt that this was going to be the doc that went for those people. Like they wanted to interview and get people on camera to admit certain things. And they get some people in here who have stuff to do with the fest who were like, key players and they say some stuff like oh, well that's something when you get that many people stuff like that's gonna happen you're like you really saying this on mm-hmm. camera right but be it the subject matter the trashier you get into this story the more you're covering the story this version of it because it's broken into three parts does a beautiful job Letting you see the progression. I think the uh, yeah. HBO one is like, here's the overall story. Here's the report on it. This one's like having you live it minute by minute, especially when they're going yeah. through the Friday night show uh, and then leading up to Saturday when they get to the, because uh, Alina was watching it for the first time. She knew nothing about Woodstock. Man, she stopped, mm. she stopped doing what she was doing. She sat down. She wanted to see what was going to happen <laughs> at the end of, uh, what's these guys' name set um, for Saturday? Uh, Limp Biscuit. With Limp Biscuit. Because the dude's yeah. surfing. 
with the crowd. He's agitating the crowd. And like you, they start having these mm-hmm. talks that you're having while you're watching the doc. Like, are they to blame to it? But is it really them to blame for it? If they're just the ones who are being hosted there and they didn't pay for the security there, it just progresses to some really crazy things. And you would think that it's not going to get worse. And every episode has a new angle from it. And I think the way that they're able to also yeah. retrospectively look at it um, and also contextualize it to how that youth hated the MTV turn. They really exemplify mm-hmm. the, the turn of the millennium and it being 1999 and how people were agitated with the way that the culture was moving and how that represents Woodstock. I, I did not expect it to be such an effective doc uh, coming from Netflix who usually tends to just exploit these stuff. You had mentioned the one that we saw last totally. week. That was just one going, oh, the, look at how bad this the is. The most hated man on the internet? Yeah, that just felt like it was covering it. Not to say anything good about it or to reflect on it but just to be like this is disgusting and we need something disgusting to come out this week on netflix this felt like they sat with people who you want to hear their insights on hell they got one of the big guys who ends up dying what is it a year after they got his testimonial three months i would put this on your radar if you do know or if you don't know anything about woodstock 99 i think it does a great job of encapsulating what happened those hectic three days is it I mean, crazy that I would still go to really... Woodstock, though, if they started it next <laughs> I mean, it might be fun. I don't minute. know. Um, Easily. <laughs> Look, uh, so if if you're looking at the two different doc, docs, right, there's Woodstock 99, Peace, Love, and Rage, which is on HBO Max. And I think what that documentary is ultimately more interested in is, like, a cultural analysis of what happened there, who went there, who did these things, and why did why did this crowd, largely of these, like, fratish white guys, reap all this destruction, right? Like, mm-hmm. what was going on in the culture in 1999 that facilitated a moment like this? So if you're looking in more of, like, a, a cultural analysis perspective, I think the HBO Max one has plenty for you. But what I found very fascinating about the H- about the Netflix version uh, is, is that it's much more of, like, a TikTok of what's happening. Yes. Like, you mentioned it's three parts, and each part talks about new things, but it's also, it's broken down into Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So each thing like is, like, taking you taking you through the event, seeing how things built. And I think you really get a bigger picture of how it's not really like it was one incident. It's incidents piling on top of incidents, neglect leading to further neglect. And ultimately, whereas the HBO documentary seems to be more indicting of the crowd that was at Woodstock 99, I think this documentary falls more on the side that it's the organizer's fault for for not being prepared, for not seeing that this could be a possibility, for not having the right security measures in place. So there are kind of like different takeaways to take from these different documentaries. And I don't think either is is wrong or necessarily even worse than the other one. It's just sort of different analyses. And yep. I thought they were both compelling, um, but I would also highly recommend the Netflix one because exactly. I was really into seeing the progression through uh through these these three episodes yeah uh i agree with you dude when it comes to documentaries there needs to be multiple perspectives like you can't have one definitive one right like even with elvis this year it's like that's not going to be the only elvis performance we see in our lifetime there will be several we will continue to see train wreck docs hell you know one day we're going to get a biopic there's going to be a lot that's going to be discussed for this one because that was the last time i think they had woodstock if i'm not mistaken so 
It lives in infinite. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, they, I know they still do like smaller festivals there, but definitely not like it the big yeah. music festival. Like, the, no, but no. But I agree with you. Watching both, I think, gives you uh, a good. It just builds the overall uh, flashback. Uh, look at how it all went down. Yeah. But I'm surprised. All right, so Trainwreck Woodstock 99 over on Netflix. We would both recommend it. Uh, But that's about all that we've been watching over the past week. Let us know what you've been watching either in the live stream or in the comments below this video. And you can also, if you're listening to us, send us an email, intercutpod at gmail.com. We always love hearing from the inner cuties hearing what you have been watching and if you take any of our recommendations because what, what what else would be the fun of this if we didn't get to actually recommend some good stuff to some people, you know? Agreed. All right, let's get to the yay or nays because it was a big week in terms of film news and the number one place we have to start is with all the happenings in the world of <laughs> of Warner Media Discovery of HBO Max uh and the new president of Warner David Zaslav uh making a lot of changes in terms of the future of the company some big some small um I think where we'd like to start out is in terms of all the different projects that have been canceled in the past week or so. Most notably, I think the one that a lot of people have spent a lot of uh, words on lamenting on the internet is the cancellation of the Batgirl movie. Uh, One that has $90 million behind it and uh, many movie stars, including uh, Leslie Grace, who's going to play Batwoman, or Batgirl rather, uh, Michael Keaton, who was set to reprise his role as Batman, Brendan Fraser, who was set to play the villain in the movie. I was so excited for that one. A lot of, lot of things that people were excited about with it. And now, despite uh, dropping $90 million on the film, it will no longer be released, not just in theaters, but not on HBO Max either. They're essentially turning this entire movie into a tax write-off. What kind of... But it wasn't even the only project canceled by the, uh, by the brain trust over at HBO Max. The recently completed Scoob prequel is also not coming out. The LeBron James produced House Party remake that was supposed to come out next month is not yeah, coming can, out. They can take that one. <laughs> and several recently announced projects, including the Wonder Twins, have been canceled under David Saslav's uh, tenure. All right, let's start here. What do you think about all these different cancellations from HBO Max? Terrible. I don't understand, I don't know, my tax credits, I guess, to... I don't know how you're going to gain more money not releasing a movie that's already finished. I think it's disrespectful to the right. filmmakers you work with, but considering a lot of the other things that this man said about, I, I don't know, every streaming service from Netflix. Netflix pretty much said, screw you, Martin Scorsese. This man came out and said, screw you, Clint Eastwood. Like what? There is no, re- if you're not going to respect the older filmmakers, why would any younger filmmakers want to come work with you? Uh, just looking back at this right here with Batgirl, the directors, Aline and I were like, aren't these the guys who did... Um, bad boys for life miss marvel bro and miss marvel and and yeah that's not a good look for you to be taking young filmmakers who are getting hits elsewhere and just telling them continue to go elsewhere you're gonna if you come with me you're gonna end up working and not even seeing your finished product that is that's just terrible it makes 
absolutely no sense to me. Uh, in terms of a lot of the other movies, Scoob had to record their score because they all, you heard about this? They already no. paid the musicians. So even though they heard it was canceled, everyone still showed up for the day and recorded the score for a movie that no one's ever going to see. But they had already been paid for it, so they showed up. It makes no sense to me, Zach. Like, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I just like, you know, the the film industry in particular is weird because it's so much of a collision of art and commerce, and it takes several, you know, dozens of craftspeople, maybe hundreds of craftspeople, to do their their art at you know whatever expert level they're they're on to try and like pull together this creative vision and that's ultimately like that it can just be all wiped out because it's gonna affect the bottom line of this company and it, that it, it can never be seen line. as a result of that is very bizarre and I, I think it's something that's getting that is concerning for people who are just fans of media that media can be so easily erased even if it's been made like i i i'm i just find it hard to believe that that this is the most financially sound decision that a company can make Sorry. now you know like how what what weird laws exist Sorry. that this is that they can just erase a 90 million dollar movie not even like put it out on hbo max so this new people said the last people were wrong. And the last people said the yeah. last people were wrong. So you just got to wait for the next people to tell you that these people were wrong. Like, it's just constant mistakes after constant mistakes. Do you really think this is for tax reasons? Or do you think they're just doing a hard reboot on wanting to, as he said, fully go the Marvel style, make sure everything's connected, and the way that they want to connect it is not going to include this version of Batgirl. So before you even start liking her, she's gone. But how is the Flash still okay? I Bro, they just put right. a warrant the- out for this man, and and everyone who's working on the Flash says <laughs> that that is a okay. I'm, I'm <laughs> I don't get what's going on over there, man. Yeah, I mean, I just don't think that ultimately putting out a movie like Batgirl, even if it was terrible, and like I, I highly doubt it's like that bad. Uh, exactly. But even if it's terrible, I don't think it hurts DC as like a valuable, you know brand right like there will always be interest in those superheroes regardless of whatever spin-offs or or side things are happening and it's i get the idea of wanting to go in a different direction than your predecessors but it's just such a hard pivot so suddenly that removes the agency of these filmmakers so drastically yeah. that it's shocking. And, you know, I, I guess Christopher Nolan was right when he was saying that, like, Where's you can't trust this company, right? He moved over to Universal. a company that's put in its movies in theaters. And that trailer yeah. looks so beautiful before Nope. It does. Which I came oh, up yeah. with a theory, though. I'm going to have to tell you later why it plays before Nope. <laughs> Nope, nope. <laughs> we're still getting our, our nope. Let us explain, by the way. It's, it's still coming. Get it, we're, but we just keep coming up with new dive. things, Zach. Nope is a movie within the universe of nope, Zach. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I might have to explain that to you later. That's not even a spoiler. <laughs> That's just the whole thing right there. But yeah, this is sad, dude. I don't know. I'm very disappointed because you and I, I think, woke up with a bunch of other people that day uh, looking forward to a call, an HBO Warner call, worried that HBO might be gone by the end of the day. Man, I was refreshing my HBO, which you're kind of worried because you know the app kind of sucks, so you don't know if it's gone or if that's just the way that it works. But 
there's so many changes they could do and I guess adding all yeah. those reality shows it's already hard to find a new thing on HBO and now you're going to have to go through all the property brothers and <sighs> yeah I mean I don't know how much you want to dig into the call itself but there was definitely some Good dispiriting memes. things it's, it's good memes, but dispiriting uh, things said about how they view their network. I thought it was interesting when they had that one thing that was, these are our brands, our franchises, our iconic character. Like, who decides what row Looney Tunes should go on? <laughs> I, I don't know. It's bizarre. Um, but they, they did announce that there are plans to combine HBO Max with Discovery Plus sometime in 2023. Yep. Uh, they've also announced that some of the uh, big shows on Discovery Plus will start airing episodes on HBO Max as well. So as you were alluding to, it's not quite the HBO Max is going away thing that we all feared. It seems a little bit more likely that Discovery is going to get folded into HBO Max now. We'll see. Um, but still, it changes the priorities and puts a bigger emphasis on all these non-scripted shows. Not all the all the shows for women according to HBO. <laughs> yeah, uh, I have it pulled up there. It's uh, Discovery Plus where the females go. It's unscripted. It's lean back, you know. It's the home of genre dumps, which here we, you know, we topic we had a topic of the week on genre dumps, of course. <laughs> As opposed to HBO Max where the males are at, Zach. Yeah, <sighs> that's my my fandom zone on HBO Max. This is hilarious. But you have to understand this is how they speak. This is how corporate people speak. I, I'd like to go back to one of right. the one of my favorite lines from uh, uh, Michael Bay. He goes, "They, they is always the studio. They don't know what they want. This is how they see things. This is yeah. yeah. It's the most minuscule way of uh, putting everything into checkboxes. And when you have those people making the decisions, you don't end up with good creative movies. Sadly." Yeah, unfortunately. Um, let's also talk about the updates to HBO Max itself because as part of their streamlining of HBO Max, the service has quietly removed a few movies made for HBO Max, Max Originals, the kind of films that you think, if anything, should permanently live on HBO Max. Yet... Films like Moonshot, Super Intelligence, The Witches, An American Pickle, Lockdown, Charm City Kings, they're all gone, no longer hosted on the HBO Max platform, uh, as well as some uh, HBO original shows like Vinyl, which comes with an episode directed by Martin Scorsese. Camping, the Lena Dunham show, Mrs. Fletcher, the limited series, Run with Merritt Weaver and Donald Gleason, Bear Town, which I've recommended and put on a best of list, not on HBO Max anymore. Art, what do you think about the disappearing movies and TV from HBO Max? Part of me feels like we've been getting this a lot. Like Harry Potter leaves all the time and they rent it out somewhere else and then they bring it back. Yeah, so uh, I just I just found out that they, uh, Warner and Universal, have a deal where every eight months it flips between the two. That's exactly what's been happening. It's so goofy. Yeah. I fear this is what we're going to have everywhere. The moment yeah. that Disney Plus was able to snatch away the Netflix Marvel shows... Nothing matters, Zach. You know how many Netflix shows say Warner Media right at the beginning? Like Sweet Tooth is Warner Media. Uh, mm-hmm. The Keep Breathing one that just came out is Warner Media. At what point is Netflix going to get screwed out of the fact that they're just a distributor 
and all of those shows that they co-partnered with from Universal can just be snatched back. It's like the craziest way of, um, mind you, I just saw industry, so I've got all that stuff in my head. You, you give them everything, and then right. in the last minute, pull them out, you dry them out. Uh, that's where I feel we're heading, where it's just going to be a game of licensing. Can you over-license or under-license other people? Yeah. I mean, what's also interesting and a little bit different about this than like even the Netflix shows is these aren't properties that are being pulled off of HBO Max so they can go onto Paramount Plus or they're something. They're just gone? They're just being pulled from HBO Max. Oh, they're, they're just on VOD now. That, oh, but they're still on VOD. Yes. Okay, it's not like a Disney The Vault. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't think camping is on VOD. It, it, I'm not sure. Maybe it is, but oh, like... It's just, I don't know. It's just a way I, I feel so that's going to be the new way to build hype. Take it away, uh, leave yeah. it gone for a bit, and then it brings back. It's like the McGrib. We're going to be treating these streaming properties like McGribs. Yeah. So, what some of the analysis was saying is that uh, essentially HBO decided that it wasn't worth continuing to pay the licensing fees to these companies. Uh, versus just taking them off. So even though it's not like full residuals like it used to be, it's still it's too still much too money much. for them to keep these shows on for whatever reason they've calculated. But wow. I don't know. It sucks, man. Like especially the the Max originals. It's like stick with the movies you've made. What well, what's the point of signing up for the service if the stuff you made isn't on the service? People are signing like, up for a year, and those are the things that are in the advertisements. But they get away with it because a little tiny asterisk that says, "By the way, we could do whatever we want." By the way, we get right. It's bad, bro. And, I, I, you know, the thing that has been really interesting is I think this more than anything is what has creatives in Hollywood um, worried right now. I don't know if you pulled up that tweet from the Dickinson showrunner, Al Al Alana Smith, okay. Alana Smith, but she was talking about how she was begging for a physical copy of her show because in the event that Apple TV Plus goes away, which who knows, maybe it will in the future. We've been saying this too. Where yeah. are people going to see this stuff produced exclusively for streaming that companies like, like Netflix don't want to allow onto DVD? You know, like I, I was on the fence about buying that BoJack Horseman season one and two collection, but now I really need it. Stranger things, changing things. And unless you have the original copies of it, you're not going to see what was there or not. And then they said things didn't get changed, but they did get changed. You just physical copy, physical media, I think is right. That's what I should have written in the back. Might as well just tattoo yeah. it. Physical media. Just stick to that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's a uh, concerning future for sure. Uh, let's talk uh, a couple more news stories. Very briefly, Neon is exploring a sale. Uh, this is Yikes. next to A24, probably the premier indie distributor, and it's looking at a potential $2.5 billion How much dollar valuation. I think that's what uh, A24 was valued at. I think we get uh, two more patrons, so and I th I think we can make an offer. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? Um, I mean, this is the company that recently broke through and won Best Picture with Parasite. It's also delivered a lot of, I think, our favorite movies the past couple of years, including stuff like uh, Worst Person in the World they had and Portrait of a Lady on Fire they yep. had. A lot of great uh, stuff. It's a really cool company, but as, as, with, as is the case with any of these upstart companies that make a name for themselves, they see they can make a lot of money the selling sale. to a bigger 
bigger fish, uh, what do you think about the potential neon sale? You know, doesn't have to be Rocky. Hopefully they get somebody who respects them and allows the creatives to continue making the creative decisions. But usually it's the selling part that the moment someone pays for you, if they're the ones putting up the money, they're going to tell you what to do. So hopefully they don't get sold to someone who doesn't care. I'll put it to you that way. <laughs> Simple yeah. as that. I mean, that's the thing. Like, you hope that it, whatever their future is, it just allows them to be neon, but yeah. at a bigger level. That's it. Um, but we'll see. Keep y'all uh, Netflix announced a new. <laughs> Netflix announced a new partnership with Amblin Pictures, which <laughs> is notable considering some previous comments from <laughs> Amblin, Amblin Steven Spielberg. Let's do it, bro. I am all for it. Um, yeah, <laughs> I love it. I want to see E.T. going to IMAX, and I want to see E.T. going straight to Netflix. <laughs> E.T. couldn't make it. He was stuck at home watching Netflix. Yeah, Quibi couldn't uh, survive. Albuquerque. Albuquerque unveiled a set of new bronze statues donated to the city by Breaking Bad creator Vince Gilligan. The statues are, of course, of the iconic duo Walter and Jesse, uh, Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul were on hand to for the unveiling as well. Art, what TV show do you think most deserves a set of statues Ooh. about its main characters? You know what? On that Jersey, need a- on that Jersey Bridge, y'all need the Sopranos on there. Just just uh, Tony uh, chilling there, like literally them sitting down. Uh, uh, what's what's his name doing the whole tanning? Just j- just a set of them. Next to a bridge, yeah. I think would be dope. or out in front of the store. Out of, yeah, right out in front of the store. Um, I don't know. I really like the Rocky one. I think that's really cool that the Rocky one's in Philly. I'm trying yeah. to think of what Chicago would have. People probably want the Ferris Bueller coming out of the coming out of the house or something. But <laughs> that'd be I don't cool. Know. What do you got? Ooh, um, I mean, I don't know why my mind just because I'm talking to you jump to uh, a Jack statue lying down in the sands of Hawaii or something like that. Jack Shepard. Right. Um, sure, I like yeah, that. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, they've probably got some ode to the Game of Thrones over in Croatia Easily. or wherever they was they were filming. I'm just laughing yeah. living, living in Albuquerque knowing that you've been fully represented by these two people who had a meth empire. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it's they've brought a lot of uh, film and TV yes, production down have. there at the very least. <laughs> they pushed a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Duolingo is unveiling a new feature that allows users to try and learn High Valerian uh-huh. just in time for the unveiling of HBO's new show, House of the Dragon. Art, yay or nay, you're going to download this feature when they unlock the uh, Navi ability later this year. Zach, not only will we be doing the entire episode for Avatar in the Navi language, but I'm hoping yeah. that I will learn High Valerian. Both of us will learn by the finale of the new Game of Thrones, nice. and we will just do the whole show in High Valerian. Perfect. <laughs> Can you imagine being yelled at in High Valerian? If they don't have a feature where the Duolingo thing threatens you by saying shame, just delete it. Just delete the app. <laughs> yeah, they need better copywriters if they don't do that for sure. <laughs> All right, uh, one last thing before we move on to the new new to see. Trent Lamb, one of our frequent listeners asked between saga why the last man and paper girls which one would you start reading first these are the iconic brian k vaughn stories aside from scott pilgrim uh i've only read why the last man so i'm going to leave the question to you which of those three is the best one to read first i have both my saga 
And my, so this is my, my saga issue number one. This is my Why the Last Man issue number one. I don't have this one graded. And then Paper Girls. Paper Girls is good. I'm going to have that at three. I'm going to have Saga at two. But mind you, this is still going. You already know. This is my favorite comic of all time. Why the Last Man. If you have the opportunity to read that, pick that bad boy up. Read it from beginning to end. And then uh, tweet out that you want a show because we haven't gotten a show of it yet. There we go. All right, so I think that's it for the yay or nay. Before we get into the new to see, we'd like to thank the Intercuity Plus patrons, those wonderful people who are supporting the show. They are Ewan, Julieta, Garrett, Tim, Elizabeth, Josh, Ashley, Marion, Michael, D.A., Matt, and Di. Our Academy-level members are Tushar, Cademan, Connor, Pete, Sean, May, and Ricky. And, of course, a big thanks to the producer-level patrons, Ooh. Awkward and Udenvir. Thanks again for all the support and a reminder that you, too, can become a member at patreon.com slash intercutpod where you can sign up for patron benefits like early access to the Intercut episode outlines, access to our private Discord channels, uh, on the Intercut Discord, which you can see a link to in the description below, and an invitation to our monthly patron Google meetings. We still got to do our August patron Google meeting. Maybe two weeks from now, we'll get that one going. Uh, mm -hmm. Got to triangulate with the patrons and uh, our schedules as well. But yeah, looking forward to hanging out with all y'all again soon. So be sure to go to patreon.com slash intercutpod and sign up to become a member. Art. Let's get to the new to see and talk about the latest coming out over the next week, starting with Netflix tomorrow, Lock and Key season three. This is a show that I think you've stuck with for its th uh, for through its first two seasons. Uh, what's yep. going on in the world of Lock and Key? Uh, it's a pretty decent adaptation of the Joe Hill uh, graphic novel. If you haven't read it, it's a very interesting story where these kids go back home to an old family house where they find these magical keys that each have a different power. Uh, pretty interesting character. Some of you may know a lot of the cast. I'm pretty sure it's, uh, what's her name, who, Amelia Jones, was she not just in the Oscar-winning Coda? Uh, you have a pretty good cast that's gathered together for this family drama, but uh, I think the most intriguing part is just seeing the different things they're able to do with the keys. Um, but it does have its teen melodrama here and there. I think season three may be wrapping things up, but I'm not sure. I don't know how the series has done so far, but it's been a decent show. Cool. Uh, then on August 12th, there's a whole bunch of stuff coming out. Let's start with more Netflix and Day Shift. It's a new movie with Jamie Foxx, uh, Dave Franco, and Snoop Dogg. It's got like a, it's like a well, action comedy. Uh, what, yeah, vampire hunting action comedy kind of thing okay. going on. I don't know. Looks like it could become some fun. Uh, Netflix is big. Not hearing right? any buzz yet. What? Because there's embargo. <laughs> yeah, which, which I don't, don't know. That's no maybe not the best sign. Yeah, but we'll see. I didn't care too much for his last outing with Netflix, but maybe this is the one. Uh, all in theaters this weekend is Emergency Declaration. Is this a Korean film? Uh, I've not heard of this movie. Oh, anyway, I don't know. Uh, also in theaters this weekend is Emily the Criminal. This is one that we caught back at Sundance earlier this year, starring Aubrey Plaza as a down-on-her-look woman who gets involved in a credit card scam that pulls her into a criminal underworld, featuring Aubrey Plaza in a type of role that you may have not seen her in before. A lot more serious, a lot more restrained, a lot harder-edged 
too. Mm-hmm. I, I really liked her. I really liked this movie. I think it's a pretty cool uh, low-level crime thriller. Mm-hmm. I think it's really good. I'd say... Uh, I, I know I gave it a junior price for sure, so if you're able to catch this in theaters, I think it's worth the matinee price. Uh, E.T. returns to theaters for yes, the IMAX does. experience. Ooh, I'm going to be going to that. I know that this is the first time that it's been released in IMAX, and going off the trailer, it does seem like they have a little bit of an expanded ratio, so I will be there watching the new Spielberg. The new old Spielberg. <laughs> You know what I thought was interesting in the trailers advertising this? There's obviously been a lot said about the way Spielberg has gone and re-edited elements of mm-hmm. the film. Like how the guys who have the guns at one point, yes. it was re-edited so they have walkie-talkies. They got the guns again in the trailer. I, I saw that, dude. They're going back to the... So that's pretty cool. I like seeing that. Yeah. Pretty excited about that. All right. Also in theaters this weekend, Fall, the latest release from Lionsgate about friend, best friends who find themselves at the top of a 2,000-foot radio tower. Go ahead to buy a <laughs> I, ticket, I guess. You're just going to have to f- buy a ticket and find out. I can't tell you that. I'm sorry. Uh, Free Cholsu Lee, another Sundance selection from earlier this year, hits theaters in New York this weekend, but it goes nationwide next week. So mm. uh, we'll bring it up again th- then, uh, keeping with Sundance movies, Girl Picture hits theaters this weekend. This was one of Amanda's favorites out of Sundance. Uh, I forgot what award it won, but it won something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll it's a it delightful little coming-of-age dramedy about some uh, teenage girls going into adulthood. I, I thought it was charming. I thought it was cute. Definitely worth a watch if you if it's playing anywhere near you. So keep Girl Picture on your radar. Audience um, winner I love my dad. for World Cinema Dramatic oh, was Girl there Picture. There we go. So yeah, it's an audience winner. Audiences loved it. You got to check out Girl Picture. <laughs> audiences <laughs> is also loved. I love, I love my, my dad. dad. The South by Southwest Audience Award winner, which now is going to be on VOD this weekend. So if you can't make it out to theaters, uh, Patton Oswald is available on streaming for you. Inu O hits theaters. This looks like a new uh, anime import. Yeah. Do you know anything about it? Uh, No, I've just seen a couple of the trailers. I think the animation looks pretty cool. And uh, I'm curious to to check this one out. It's getting a pretty big release over here. Sometimes I'm worried with the G-Kid stuff that it's only going to get like a Fathom release or something like that. And you end up having to like drop the $18 for it. So uh, I'm glad that it's getting a full full out release. Mac and Rita hits theaters this weekend as well. Reportedly. We think? We think. There's screenings for this literally tomorrow, but no showtimes for it on Friday. But uh, yeah. yeah, if you go to Regal, Regal's like, you can bring a friend. You could just fill the whole theater. Here's free popcorn. Here's everything. They're doing a whole thing for <laughs> it. It's like a 13 going on 30, but it's 30 going on 60, I think. Yeah. 70, Which, like, my bad. Cool, cool that Diane Keaton's getting getting those parts, I guess. But okay, I don't know. I guess. Uh, we'll see. It would be interesting if we could find out where it's playing. Uh, <laughs> Never Have I Ever is back for season three on Netflix, the Mindy Kaling show that I think is a pretty big hit for them, actually. Yeah, um, I don't know if you've been watching it. I, I kind of gave up on the show in the first season. Yeah, I've caught the last two seasons. I'm curious your thoughts if you do get back on it because season two has our boy from uh, American Vandal, the dude who's behind the camera, and he plays like oh, a nice. Disney, an Tyler? ex-Disney kid. Yeah, he's fantastic in it, and that's when I was just like, yo, this kid's got some comedy chops in him. So uh, I'm awesome. curious to see what they bring for season three. 
uh, Post Malone Runaway. It's a music event over on Amazon Freebie. You know, we don't talk about Freebie too much, but they're they're starting to push some stuff out there. So, yep. you know, free service IMDb, for people out there. IMDb TV that got transformed to Freebie, and I think this is the smartest thing they did because they integrate it now into Prime. So Freebie is free views with ads, but if you're on Prime, it just automatically plays for you. So it's a part of all the streaming services like Netflix just announced where they're all going to be doing an ad-free version and then the premium stuff, you pay the big bucks for it. But we're going to see a lot of concert films, I feel, going to Freebies and Netflix and all of the ad-supported ones. Yeah, definitely a big way to bring in a big way to bring in lots of fans for sure. Secret Headquarters. I think this what one hits this? theaters and Paramount Plus. Uh, it's a, another like kids find out about superhero stuff and help. I don't know. Sure. Uh, it looks like that Robert Rodriguez one that was Spy really kids? bad. No, not the. I'd said the one that was really bad. Art. The, then reboot two Spy Kids. Then. Yeah. Exactly. The what is it? We are heroes. We looks are like heroes. That. Yeah, that was. Yes, that's the best way that I could put it, but. Uh, hey, glad Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson just does not vibe when it comes to streaming releases, bro. It's not good. <laughs> yeah, it's only in the worst ones, except for I guess Loki. But well, we'll see. Um, MDB likes it. Yeah, Summering hits theaters. Another hey. Sundance selection. This one from James Ponsalt, a director I like a lot. F- doing a movie I did not like a lot, um, <laughs> it's- but. It's not terrible. It's not terrible, but it's tonally everywhere. I've never seen a kid's movie yeah. that does what this does. But then at the same time, it's honoring Stand By Me, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. I sort of. There's definitely like interesting ideas in there, but it, it feels like there's interesting ideas that should be in like four or five different movies, not That's this That's what it is, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. This Fool hits Hulu all 10 episodes at once. I don't know if you know anything about that one. I just like the title. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And then We Are As Gods is available in theaters. This is an interesting documentary. I I forget where we first caught this one. South by Southwest. There we go. Uh, But last year, right? Not this year? Dude, this could have been like... Maybe it is this year. I'm just... this could have been like two years ago, but no, it was not this year's. It would have been last year's or the 20... 20- no, it would have been 2021. They released it as a part of their full virtual lineup that they were able to do before going back to public. And this is about the dude who wants to bring back freaking Willie Mammoth. And they're like, bro, but where is it going to stop? And you know, it gets really into this idea of what genetics and different things can we bring back? And are we playing God? And where does it stop? And then this is a dude yeah. who's tired of hearing Jurassic Park. He just wants to do things, and he may not get it by the time he dies, but I think it's a fascinating doc, and I would check it out. A fascinating documentary, and I think one of the things that they do well is sometimes you get documentaries that follow these interesting critical thinkers, and it's a little bit too much of like a a celebration of them and a support and just constantly supporting their vision. And this does a nice job of both like showing what a genius he is and also giving you the counter arguments while not really feeling like they're too biased in one way or the other. So shout out to the directors behind this, David Alvarado and Jason Susberg, who are actually pretty interesting documentarians. They did the Bill Nye movie a couple of years ago. Uh, The Immortalists was another interesting documentary they've done. So I've, I've had my eye on them for a bit and uh, we are as gods is one of their better ones for sure for sure all right and then also this weekend august 13th the princess hits hbo this is one of the few 
Sundance movies from this year that we did not get to catch, but it's nope. a documentary looking at the life of Diana. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to have to catch up with this one. The people who did get to see it at Sundance this year seem to like it. Yeah, great things that it's all archives. And I mean, we've got in a dozen Diana uh, right. docs and there's several on Netflix, but uh, this was one that I was hoping to catch the festival. So I'm I'm glad that we'll finally be able to catch it. A lot of the docs from Sundance that we missed are going to HBO and that's a good thumbs up for me. All right, so that's what's new to see. Let's talk about our picks for the week. Art, why don't you start it off? What should people check out over the course of this week? Sticking to HBO, if you have not seen the movie Belle, it is an anime about a girl who is able to create an entire personality online where she is this massive singer, but nobody knows that it's her. Is she willing to risk all that when she finds another boy online? who may need her help in the real world. Thought it was a really good doc mm. or doc. Uh, I thought it was a really good VR movie that talks about uh, how you can create a whole other personality on there. Um, that may not tie all the drama perfectly in my opinion, but I still think it's worth the watch. Some very beautiful animation that is over on HBO max for now, you know, for now. Uh, as they made yes, us, we'll one of my see. favorite movies of the year is available, not just on Showtime, uh, but it is also available, as this boots up over here, on Hoopla. So nice. if you got a library card, you don't even have to worry about paying for a subscription. It is free uh, over on Hoopla. I highly, highly recommend it. I thought it was a very good drama. Check that one out. Uh, but also a big shout out to Showtime, who's been picking up a lot of festival picks. The Novice, I know, is one that uh, you really mm -hmm. enjoyed. And right before you go see The Orphan, mm -hmm. go catch her in this because she does a fantastic job in that movie. That's on Showtime, as well as nice. uh, a Sundance Festival pick from a couple years ago, The In-Between Girl. Uh, a lot of these yeah. movies, we catch them at festivals that we know they may not have a theatrical release. People aren't going to get them on VOD. Uh, but now that they're on streaming services, uh, especially on Showtime, you got a couple of festival picks to, to pick from. So Showtime has The Novice, In-Between Girl, As They Made Us. But over on Hulu, Reservation Dogs is back with their yes. season two. Season one was really good, and I've been loving the trailers that they have for season two and how they're going to carry out these characters. I would highly recommend this one. Uh, a lot of people always recommend the one on HBO that they really enjoy uh, about the pirates with Taika. But this is this has been my Taika TV series that I've been gravitating towards, uh, even more yeah. so than uh, what we do in the shadow, surprisingly. But uh, really, that, that's been pretty good. Yeah, I don't know why, dude. I just I, I like the vibe. I like the hangout that they have going. It's on. It's a cool vibe. Um, yeah. It's a cool vibe. Uh, what is the complete opposite of a cool vibe and has stressed me out has been everybody who's been recommending industry because season two is on the horizon or it just premiered. So I'm catching up on season one. Zach said to me that this is, what was it, Succession? Right? Is that what you said? But for horny people. But for super, super horny people. And you get that from episode <laughs> one. Uh, everyone's just trying to, as it says right there, trade up. They're all trying to make it in this business world. Um, this main actress who's right here, she is in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies and killed it. She yes. is also fantastic in this. Uh, Mahala yeah, Harold, so, uh, great job. Great job. Uh, I got to see Bodies, Bodies, Bodies over the weekend and there was a Q&A afterward with Mahila Harold as well as uh, Maria Bakalova and uh, Helena Rain, the director of the nice. film. And Mahila just completely dominated the Q&A. Yeah. She's like radiant, so, so verbose and eloquent in her answers and just 
really owned that room in a way that made me completely buy into her potential as a movie star. Because uh, I also do really think she's excellent in Bodies, 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 but yep. uh, I've only seen like two episodes of Industry so far, and I, I like her in it, but now I really, really need yeah. to watch it because I'm, I'm all in on Mahila. And the whole show in general is just a really solid show, but it gets you anxious because the sound design, you feel like you're in that room with them, in that office, yeah. and the phones just don't stop ringing. I kept looking around looking around thinking mine was going <laughs> off but i am excited to finish it up and to start season two of industry uh and awesome. finally if i were to give you one theater pick i believe this is in virtual theaters and maybe in some independent ones but one of my favorite docs of this year is clay dream it looks back yeah. at the man who created claymation dude uh and it is one of the craziest stories in terms of his career what he went for and what it ended up becoming, I would highly, highly recommend this doc. Hell, read the Wikipedia page. Just learn about this man. It is really good. And Clay Dream is a perfect doc that covers all that. So my picks for the week being Clay Dream, Industry, Reservation Dogs, In Between Girl, The Novice, Showtime's finally finally pulling up with stuff, uh, and Bell. Bell's really good over on HBO. What about you, Zach? A lot of good stuff to watch. Um, solid, solid I week. will go... I'll go with a couple picks. Um, first of all, in theaters, we, we talked about it briefly before, uh, but I'll mention Emily the Criminal again because I, I think it's just a really solid film. I think it's a really cool... I think it's the debut from John Patton Ford as well, uh, which is surprising given how you know effective and good this mm. film is. I just think it's a surprise for people. It, it'll come as a surprise for people given that... I think a lot of people have this one vision of Aubrey Plaza and she's such a talented actress. Like this is a whole different side ben. of her and a really gripping story too. So uh, I'm excited to revisit Emily, the criminal. I did get a chance to revisit bodies, 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 and it's excellent. So I'm yes, excited sir. for people to get a chance uh, to see it now that it's expanding in its second week. Uh, so maybe check if it's playing near you and then you can go back and watch our after credits review, uh, which is already up. It's got like at least 15 minutes of non spoilery talk. If you haven't seen the movie yet, then go watch the movie and come back and we'll talk to you about why the twist works. Bodies, 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 a really fun time. Uh, but my pick, my other pick for the week is one you can watch at home. It's 13 Lives, the Amazon Prime movie we were talking about earlier, uh, talking about the cave rescue. I just think it's a really, really gripping, well-done docudrama. Um, it, it, I was not expecting to be as engrossed in the film as I was, particularly given the fact that, as we've talked about, like I've seen this story dramatized before. I wasn't like worried what was going to happen next. I knew everything that was about to happen, but it's all done so effectively, so so authentically, it feels like, that I was really with it. I liked it a lot. I'm hoping people catch up with it. So yeah, Emily the I'm Criminal, Bodies, 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 and 13 Lives are my picks for the week. But I'll also Beautiful. give a second to Reservation Dogs because that's a great show. A great Fantastic show. show. Nice hangout show. All right, but I think that's about all for this week's show. You can catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd, at ZShevich, that's Z-S-H-E-V-I-C-H, and check out my YouTube or multi or TikTok channels at Multiplex Show Art. Where can people find more from you? You can find me over at Let Me Explain on Twitter, on Letterboxd, on YouTube, but every week here on the Intercut Podcast.
You can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcatcher is. I happen to like Overcast. And then make sure you're subscribed not just to the audio feed, but to the video feed as well on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash intercutpod, where you can watch our bright, smiling faces as we break down the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of the Intercut Weekend Must Watch streaming on our YouTube channel every Monday. And please leave us a comment, like the video, consider heading over to iTunes to give us that much-requested five-star review. And shout-out to those of you in the Philippines for putting us on the TV and film podcast charts out there. Sorry that I didn't see Easter Sunday. Maybe I should Mm. now. Sorry I didn't Uh, like like it Like our Facebook... (laughs) Yeah, right? Uh, Like our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. Support our Patreon. All of them are at IntercutPod to get updates throughout the week from Art, from me, from all the guests we feature here on Intercut. Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, I'm smarter than a beaver. It's probably the best movie I saw this weekend. I think it is.